Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a high-level AI departure at the Defense Department. So Alka Patel is the top and one of the only officials whose sole mission at DOD is to ensure that their use of artificial intelligence, you know, really abides by the ethical principles that they've adopted. Solving the people problem agencies face today. The director of OPM should not only talk about how cool it is to work for the federal government, but she needs to talk about how we can reform the system so that when one of those kids says, yes, that's my calling, they can get in quick. And the money movement solution underway at Health and Human Services. We service a lot of loans out of HHS. And I have, what I believe, the only debt collection center outside of Treasury that is a designated debt collection center. It's Wednesday, October 6, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency would have to appoint CISA advisors to work with every federal agency chief information officer if new legislation in Congress becomes law. CISA Director Jen Easterly would have four months to designate those officials according to the text of the Federal Information Security Modernization Act of 2021. The chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, Gary Peters, and the ranking member, Rod Portman, are the sponsors of the bill. Part of the Army's Project Convergence is missing what the Defense Department Inspector General calls a cyber adversarial assessment. The findings part of an IG report on rapid prototyping and rapid fielding programs. The report finds overall military services, quote, effectively leveraged middle tier of acquisition pathways for those programs. The top official working on artificial intelligence ethics at the Defense Department is leaving her job. Jackson Barnett's writing about it for FedScoop. Jackson, welcome. Who is Alka Patel? What has she done? And where is she going? Welcome. Thanks for having me, Francis. Uh, So Alka Patel is the top and one of the only officials whose sole mission at DOD is to ensure that their use of artificial intelligence, you know, really abides by the ethical principles that they've adopted. Uh, She was at DOD for about 20 months, and during that time, she really worked to translate very broad principles that DOD adopted in about February of 2020 and and turned them into actionable things that uh, employees of the department could work with, you know, take them broad and, and, and make them actionable was her mission. Where is the department on developing that guidance, Jackson? Well, if you asked her, in as I did in September of 2020 in an interview we had, she had said that there was going to be very specific guidance in February 2021. Um, that deadline was missed largely because of the transition of administrations. There was new leadership and the offices did not want to get ahead of the political leaders as they were getting confirmed. Uh, so a few months after that, Deputy Secretary Hicks, uh, the, the number two in the department and kind of the chief operating officer, if you will, she signed a memo saying that there was going to need to be this guidance in place by, I believe, about mid-October. Um, she signed that in the summer. There was a draft deadline that has come. Then after that, there's going to be the finalization, the implementation of that guidance. So where we are is it's not done yet. Um, Hopefully, you know, it's, it, it's on the way, though, if, if you ask DOD. Well, what do we know about where Alka Patel is headed, if anything, Jackson? All we know is she is headed back to Pittsburgh. That's all she has said publicly. Uh, she 
used to work at Carnegie Mellon University in various capacities. It's unclear what job she will have, but she'll be back in Pennsylvania. Jackson Barnett, thanks very much as always. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. You can read more about the departure of Alka Patel and more on these headlines and many more at fedscoop.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is sponsored today by Zoom for Government, designed with relevant certifications and ATOs for the federal hybrid workforce. Zoom for Government offers rich and high-reliability audio and video to work through complex issues and build rapport across government with mission partners and engaging the public. Learn more at karasoft.com Zoom. The Federal Chief Information Officer is pushing agency CIOs to think about services instead of IT. Claire Martirana titled her comments, Working Together as a Federal IT Enterprise to Deliver for the American People. Kathy Conrad's Director of Digital Government at Accenture Federal Services. She's former Principal Deputy Associate Administrator in the Office of Citizen Services and Innovative Technology at the General Services Administration. Kathy, welcome. It's good to talk to you again. What I hear when I listen to Claire speak and read what she wrote in this blog post, I see the guidance coming out of OMB and everything, is basically a continuation of what the previous administration did on CX and what you and your colleagues did in the Obama administration on CX. Am I reading all of this right? Do you think, Kathy? Welcome. Yeah, thank you, Francis. Yeah, I sure are reading it right. I think it really validates that the focus on customer experience and putting customers at the center of everything we're doing is absolutely the right thing to do. I think, though, it also shows that there's more that needs to be done. What are the roadblocks that you're seeing to agencies who are trying to do some of these things? What are the big rocks they've got to move in order to achieve the goals that both IT-wise and more broadly service-wise? Yeah, so so I think there, there are a couple things. So one is um, we need to better enable interact with the government in ways that we can anticipate. We've made lots of progress in creating self-service capabilities based on understanding customer needs and priorities. So for example, um, giving customers the ability to have authenticated accounts that they can log into and check payment loan or applications status or more. Next Horizon goes beyond self-service to build intelligent systems that anticipate customer needs and proactively deliver information and services so that people can get what they need without having to ask for it. So. I think when you talk about modernization, um, looking to AI-powered intelligent systems that can use the data that agencies have for proactive service delivery, opt-in text messaging systems that send personalized reminders and alerts of needed actions, or are combined with intelligent systems that provide needed assistance. What I don't hear, Kathy, and, and I think this is a good thing in all of the things that you just described, is a whole bunch of things that agencies don't either have or have the capability of delivering if they're not delivering it today. It, you're, it doesn't sound like you're suggesting that agencies need to start doing a whole bunch of things that they don't already either do or, or uh, would be able to learn how to do. You know, I, I think that the technology exists for agencies to do these things today. Some of the things that stand in their way our practice in hard uh, lack of, for example, data sharing. So there are, I mean, that's not to say there aren't barriers that need to be addressed. One of the um, emphases in both Claire's memo and the new OMB guidance is recognizing that people come to government for a purpose and we need to more deeply understand what 
this is not just along like individual touch points or channels, but at kind of a whole of government level, understanding people's needs, not just um, what they're trying to do when they make a specific phone call or interact with a specific web page. One of the biggest frustrations in survey after survey for citizens dealing with the government is when they have to navigate different agencies. Uh, this agency does this service they need, but it's connected to this service that this other agency does that they need. Are we getting better at tying those together at, at the interagency concept that, I mean, we, you, we've talked about that, you and I, when you were still at GSA. Yeah, I think we're getting better at it. The new guidance identifies major events, recovering from a disaster or finding a job or applying for unemployment or a really good one is retiring. Those are those kinds of experiences that cross not only individual agencies, but also levels of government. And some of the ways in which I think we can get to the next level and do that better is to conduct and share stakeholder research that looks at not just as I said, individual types, but the whole ecosystem. Um, we in our we did a um, report that we released recently called Future Frame, where we looked at some of the kind of guiding principles and some of the barriers to administering federal benefits, which is one of those areas that is probably most. Uh, significant in terms of crossing levels of government and agencies, and found um, a number of areas where there are significant barriers and opportunities um, to do things in ways that make it easier for both people who apply for those benefits and the employees who administer them. All right. Um, we're almost out of time, Kathy, but you and your colleagues are celebrating a, a big birthday coming up. Tell me about that. Yeah, the fifth anniversary of our digital studio. We're super excited. We brought together human-centered design, rapid prototyping, and applied intelligence data scientists to take this integrated approach at how we solve very large-scale complex problems, keeping, um, as Claire reminds agencies to do, people enter. All right. Have a big piece of birthday cake for me, all right? You bet. Thank you, Francis. You can find a link to Claire Martirana's blog post in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming on today's Daily Scoop podcast, money movement solutions at Health and Human Services. Michael Peckham tells you how the agency's using technology to protect its financial assets. The Daily Scoop podcast's lineup is available ahead of time every day on Twitter. You can follow the show at Daily Scoop Pod. The director of the Office of Personnel Management says this is the moment to join the federal government. Karen Ahuja says there is a lot more the government should be doing to facilitate that. Ron Sanders is staff director at the Florida Center for Cybersecurity at the University of South Florida. He's former chief human capital officer at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and former chair of the Federal Salary Council. Ron, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Are there things that Kieran Ahuja isn't talking about doing that maybe she should be as she begins to make the move to try to get people into the government? Ron, welcome. Uh, Francis, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Uh, and and the answer, the short answer is yes. Uh, I, I you know I love the message. Um, I've been a public servant for most of my professional career, and uh, I, I went to work for the federal government because I thought it was a calling. And I think tapping that gene with this current generation is the right way to go. Uh, frankly, the students I have taught want to work for the public sector. 
they don't really care whether it's the federal government, state, local, or some contractor or nonprofit that supports them. And I think therein lies the additional message that I wish OPM and agencies would, um, would tap. Because uh, frankly, if the Biden administration wants to do all of the things that it has talked about doing, even if it just wants to do the things that have been funded so far, and you know, without getting into a partisan debate here, that's a pretty ambitious agenda. It's going to take public servants to do it at all levels. But I will tell you, one of the things that is sort of good news, bad news here, Francis, is that I have never seen a seller's labor market like we have today. And by sellers, I mean the folks, the you know, new public servants who are making a decision on who they go to work for. They have their, cho their choice. And uh, that means that the director of OPM should not only talk about how cool it is to work with the federal government, but she needs to talk about how we can reform the system so that when one of those kids says, yes, that's my calling, they can get in quick. And right now they cannot get in quick. Here's the extent to which it's a seller's market as far as labor goes right now. I know nothing about the company Spartan Nash. I don't know what they do. I don't know what business they're in. But their CEO said recently on Bloomberg, it really is a war for talent. About 10% of our hires now don't show up for the first day. They don't even come after they've already been told, we want you to work here. This is the day you start. That blew my mind when I saw that. And like I said, I don't know what the company is. I don't know the reputation of it. But the fact that there is some ongoing concern that can have 10% of the people that it hires not even come the first day I've never heard of anything like that in my life, Ron. Well, it used to be, and, and something we experienced in the intelligence community, but not just there, it used to be that you'd get somebody pressing a button and, and submit uh, several hundred applications to several hundred job postings. Uh, and then they'd get one and they'd go. These days, they not only submit several hundred applications, they get a dozen or two offers, and then they sit back and pick and choose. And they accept all of them because they want the choice. Uh, but when it comes time to report, they've, they've decided to go with somebody else. Uh, Francis, I got to give you a quick example. We, we just did a, in my current capacity, we just did a webinar for young cybersecurity graduates who wanted to get a federal job. That was literally the title of the webinar, how to get a federal job if you're a cybersecurity graduate in very high demand, right? And we had DHS and we had NSA and we had the FBI and we had OPM there. Uh, all four of them painted a mind-numbingly complex picture of how to get in. We still had 400 kids online. They're still interested, but I'm not sure after they heard that spiel from those agencies, uh, they were ready to, you know, <laughs> charge up the hill. So, all right, so just to pick on one of the people there uh, that you mentioned, Angie Bailey, the Chico, uh, Chico at uh, Department of Homeland Security, she has special hiring authorities to bring cyber people in. What do you do short of trying to figure out how to work around the system now? Or maybe is that where we are today, given some of the demand for, for positions like cyber and others? Is that what an agency chief human capital officer needs to do? Figure out the way around the system instead of figuring out how to work the system, Ron? Uh, that's what I would be doing, and I have done in my youth, uh, not necessarily to figure out a way around the system, but to go get my own special authorities. Mm -hmm. So DHS now has them, the FBI had them, NSA had them, and poor little OPM says, here's the regular way to get a federal job. 
And, you know, I have to do, we literally have to do a special webinar to deal with all of the questions and complexities of that route. But the other three agencies each had their own. They're different, but they each had their own. And I have to admit, uh, Francis, we're in the middle. I'm part of a group of, uh, let's call them alumni from the Internal Revenue Service, who are busy trying to get uh, the IRS the same authority because the Biden administration wants to close the tax gap by enforcing the tax laws. Well, you're not gonna do that with an IRS that has 20,000 fewer employees than when I was there. Mm -hmm. So they need to hire new skills, but they need to hire. And the old, the regular way is just not gonna cut it. Is there something that OPM could do to create a special hiring authority that applies to every agency for things like cyber? or other specialties where there really is an emergency right now? Um, I think the, you know, sort of the good news here is that there are lots of flexibilities there. Uh, for whatever reason, OPM has guarded them jealously, and they probably have good reasons for that. Uh, but uh, my advice is, you know, <laughs> loosen up, uh, because you could grant direct hire authority or create special accepted hiring authorities for lots of jobs. Now, there are two sides to this coin, Francis. You also need to get agencies to use them. And too many of my professional colleagues uh, still default to the old way of doing business rather than leveraging those flexibilities to the extent they can. So that's another part of the handcuffs. Uh, we're almost out of time, but the, what I'm getting at is at the OPM level or the, the government-wide level somewhere, that would alleviate the problem that you just laid out where you had three or four agencies with three or four different processes that that college student or recent graduate has to try to navigate if there were one path at least they would know this is the path that i have to walk these are the places that i have to go that it sounds like we don't have now ron well if you use the word path and that's the right word opm has pathways and in theory that does what you've suggested but again let's be let's be brutally honest the system is constipated and agencies are going to the hill to cut their own deals that's what we're encouraging IRS to do because OPM still has to prove itself. They still have to prove that they're going to be by the agency side charging up the hill rather than at the top, uh, at the top of the hill shooting downwards. <laughs> All right. Ron Sanders, thanks very much as always. Great to talk to you, my friend. Same here, Francis. Anytime. You can read more about the workforce issues Ron covered in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The final lineup's almost ready for Cyber Week, less than two weeks away. CyberScoop has a loaded calendar already for the Cyber Festival. It's happening October 18th through the 22nd. Lots of top leaders from tech, education, and government will be there, both digitally and in person. You can see the calendar and register now at cyberweek.us. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Thursday's program. The leader of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, Michael Horowitz, tells you how the PRAC is using data to stop waste, fraud, and abuse. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Department of Education has a new servicer for its student loan program. Navient is leaving the business and Maximus is entering it. Michael Peckham is Chief Financial Officer for the Program Support Center at the Department of Health and Human Services. Mike, welcome. It's good to talk to you again. Why does what's happening in a loan program at the Education Department matter to somebody like you at Health and Human Services? Welcome. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, always a pleasure to be chatting with you. This came to my attention because we're looking at uh, servicing loans. So we service a lot of loans out of HHS. 
And I have what I believe the only debt collection center outside of Treasury that is a designated debt collection center. So obviously this caught my attention very quickly. What is the debt problem specifically that you have at HHS? Who incurs the debt? Who are you collecting it from? And how are you doing that now? So generally we're, we're talking about like the National Health Service Corps um, where you know somebody is required to pay back time to the federal government and let's say they default. Well, when at the point in time where they default, they've gotten an education as or heal loans or something like that. Um, we have to calculate a debt. We have to go about and we have to collect that debt. And it's very, very hard. And the, the problem, the biggest problem that we have is if these do actually go to the Department of Justice, a very high percentage of time, we are told, nope, sorry, this is just an administrative error. Go figure out what your problem is and come back later when you have. And when you've been servicing a debt for years, finding that needle in the haystack becomes next to impossible. Right now, we're looking at how do we revamp this business line? It is disconnected. Um, I compare it to the old sales to customer service story where once it's done and thrown over the, the wall to the debt collection center, uh, communications are very infrequent. That, and that's probably one of the biggest problems. Um, each loan is based on a statute. Um, they all have different constraints and requirements so that throws complexity into this. This is, isn't just a straight, you know, one-for-one one type of loan. Um, we also have private collection agencies involved, and they serve a definite need, but they're partitioned off from the government right now. So I really kind of sum this up by saying we've got a lot of baton passing without connectivity. And how do we verify where we are in the process at any point in time? Right now we're doing it through reports where we have up to four entities that should all be on the same page. And those entities are the program office, the debt collection center, the private collection agency, and the debtor. And we're missing that right now. And that is something that I'm looking to try to solve. What solves that problem in your view? Is it eliminating the baton passing or is it just uh, enhancing and turbocharging the connectivity piece, Mike? The second, absolutely. So, you know, I played around in emerging technology for a little while now. And to me, this is a perfect example of where the microservices architecture could really enhance the entire process. It could create a user experience that goes from probably one of the worst that we're seeing to one of the best. Um, but we have to set up each microservice that is unique to each type of debt. And the microservice needs to be autonomous, custom to the type of debt, and we need to use AI in this process. This is a perfect example of where AI can really benefit us. Um, and it can improve the debt submittal process. Um, it leads me to the question of why can't we collect? Well, usually when we can't collect, it's because of an administrative error or there's a missing piece of information. It's that simple. Um, if we start to use AI when we're passing information from one, in, uh, one system to another system, one organization, one entity to another entity, we can do those little checks as we're running through the process to say, is anything missing? We can also start to analyze what debt is most collectible and by who? Is it collectible by the debt collection center or the private collection agency? I don't know, but I think if we use AI to start to scour all this, this data that we have, historical data, we're going to see what debt is most collectible, what's unlikely to collect. Help me understand what you're doing collection-wise in HHS and how it might compare, you referenced treasury, how it might compare to education and so on. So right now it's very manual. Um, and the systems are quite honestly archaic. Um, they are, you can find COBOL coding in old mainframe style screens. 
and half of the work is done outside of the system where the system is really um, a cuff to the actual record. And we need to change that dynamic. We need to have the systems having the information in them so data analysis is uh, possible and it can actually present a story to the user that the user can act on. Right now, the users are really just kind of hunting and pecking for information. And one of the worst things is the communications that we're having are all outside the system and it's either a phone call, an email, or a letter. Try tying all that information together after the fact when it's all manual and there are no notes, there's nothing automated to the file. It, it's a very interesting dynamic. You've been applying data and data analytics to a lot of different problems inside HHS in the years that you and I have been talking. How is this effort similar to or different from some of the effort, other efforts that you've undertaken with data and data analytics inside HHS, Mike? I, I think it starts at the same basis where I've started every other one. You have to start with human-centered design. You have to engage users and understand what are the constraints and conditions that are causing them problems. Then you have to do a really serious design thinking session, sessions, I should say. A lot of folks want to solve today's problem. If I'm solving today's problem, that problem has existed for a while. I want to be thinking about what's my future agility and what are the problems or the concerns that I'm going to face tomorrow? Because when there's a statutory change, that change can be a point in time or it can be comprehensive, debt forgiveness, um, something like that. We need to, during COVID, we weren't collecting debt. And that was a huge undertaking to pause all the debt collection, to pause all the interest calculations, all the penalty calculations across this, this archaic system. If we're thinking about what we've experienced over the last five years, and we start to apply that to what we need to do in the future, it will change the dynamic. But most importantly, we've got to engage the debtors because they are part of this process and they need to have visibility and input into the process. I'm going to make you make two columns for me, Mike. One column is what I have to apply to this problem now, and the other column is what I need to put all these pieces together. Fill those columns in for me, Mike. What I have right now is I have a whole list of, I'll say, complaints. But as I've told you before, I see complaints as suggestions in disguise. So I have a column that goes on forever and a day on that side. What I need is I need to have a solution that is well-architected. It's, it's scalable, it's secure, it's maintainable, and it most importantly, accessible. Um, and I think that is a simplistic approach that will really help us solve what I'm going to say is a ledger of longstanding concerns and issues. So knowing your project management background and experience, you've got that as the broad goal, that solution as the broad goal. What do you break that broad goal down into as the pieces to start working toward achieving that goal, Mike? So I, um, we can start one of two ways. We could start with what's the hardest debt that we've always tried to collect um, and see if we can improve that process. Or we can start from the perspective of what's the easiest debt and what can we learn from implementing that. I will probably lean towards the latter because what we want to show folks is we want to show them success. We want to show them that these technologies can enhance their ability to do their job better. And if we don't see improvement right out of the gate, this entire process will stall. Um, but I think it all depends on the users and what the users come back and tell us what is the bigger problem to them. I don't want to predispose which direction we go because um, it's really their, their idea, their solution. How would you measure that you've reached the solution that you talked about a moment ago? How will you decide this is working? What, what will be your metrics? Um, I think my first metric would be, are we improving collections overall? Um, take a snapshot quarterly, 
and, and start looking at which program did we implement on? Have we improved collections based on what we saw from last year? Um, that's a short-term metric, and that'll tell me that I need to continue going and need to expand this to different programs and different types of debt. I think the thing I'm most interested in are, will be the first cases that actually go to justice, and can we get through that first hurdle? Do we have all the information there that we can now move forward with an action um, through that organization? That seems to be you know, the, the biggest nut to crack here. Michael Peckham of the Department of Health and Human Services, great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. There's more on HHS's data-driven efforts in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thank you for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The chair of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, the IG at the Justice Department, Michael Horowitz, is on Thursday's show. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.